Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Coming to you live on top of Bed of Roses in the Honeymoon Suite. I'm your host Justin. And I'm Aaron. Welcome back everyone. It's It's... Another week, another episode, a lot more to talk about. We've got car reveals from the different teams. We've got some Formula One team previews. We've got some League of Legends. IEM Katowice finished, so we've got some notes on that. Um, Justin, good to see you. It feels like it's been a while, but I think it's just been a long week so far for me. I was going to say, I have a feeling it's been the same amount of time since the last time I saw your face, no longer than usual, but uh, yeah, a long week will do that. I imagine we're, um, well, at least we're on the 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 falling action of the hump day, right? At least we're yes. moving into the tail end. We can look forward to that, but yeah, good to see you too, my friend. Now, have you ever have you ever been on vacation with a buddy and you walk into your hotel room and God damn it, they gave us the honeymoon suite again? Um, I have not, but I love to joke about it. And uh, mm-hmm. when when I worked in the hotels and everything, um, I would have like guys come in and like they're on. You could tell that they've got their golf clubs and they're like on a like a dude's weekend or something like that. And they're like, oh, yeah, like we're here for our room. And like, they're like, oh, like two double beds and everything. And I'm like, oh, I thought you guys had the heart shaped bed in the honeymoon. Like, I would, I would, got I would joke with them. Uh, and at, it always got a laugh. I had my, um, my fair share of little cheesy dad jokes that, uh, for me, like, I I heard them a million times because I would tell them all the time. But to these people, it was like the first time they heard them. So sure, they were always. Idea. Yeah. So it was always entertaining for them, even though it was like kind of just a muscle memory for me, like anyone coming into the hotel and they're like, oh, Aaron, that's my nephew's name. I'd be like, I got it for my birthday. It's a good one. I like it's a really bad joke, but like <laughs> I like would get a laugh every single time if, if they, they heard it, if they picked up on it, sometimes that one would right over their head. Mm -hmm. Um, and speaking of right over our head, what's the deal with all these freaking UFOs, man? Like, I don't know if you've been following along, but just out of curiosity, I, there have been like, I don't know, a lot more UFO and like floating object sightings, US military shooting things out of the sky a bit more lately. It's been it's been weird and I not to get too far on a tangent, but I just find it very interesting because the prospect of aliens is always like like they could be out there, they might not be. But now we're seeing all this stuff in the news and I'm like it's intriguing i i take all that stuff with a grain of salt although hopefully the the people that make first contact if first contact hasn't been made yet um are you know good good ambassadors for the species like you don't want you don't want me making first introductions that's for sure Um, yeah i'd say um i'd say i'm not at the top of the list either so 
<laughs> sure. So yeah, if there are aliens, just don't come knocking on my door. I will not. Um, I will not be a, a good example of the human race. I think I use too, too many curse words. You know. I would probably be like, no soliciting. Get out of here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we think they were trying to sell us something. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I thought that was uh, an interesting thing from the past week. But um, I guess I'll get into to my week for for this past week. But um, let's have it. My uh, rose for for this past week is that um, it's actually more from today, but Senna's dog sitter um, is is back, or or at least today was able to like her. She had car We're issues, back, baby. <laughs> uh, she had she had had some car issues. She hadn't been able to come watch Senna, so it kind of threw a little wrench into our plans uh, and all for how we were maneuvering the work schedules and everything. And so she was back today. And like, she, she loves Senna. She like sends us pictures. She really, she's always like, she is so great. I love like hanging out with her for an hour and everything. And we're like, like, it's, it's great for us too. It makes our lives a little, little easier. So, um, so that's a, a definite positive. That's just like eased a little bit of figuring out and, and all in the normal day to day. Um, my thorn for this week, I've got, I've got two actually, but, um, I have had like headaches for like three days straight now and they're just killing me. I take Tylenol, they go away, Tylenol wears off, they come back and it's been like this cycle for the past three days or so, which, um, just, it tires my brain out. So, uh, not too fun. I'm not sure exactly what's causing them. Um, I've been trying to drink more water. I've been trying to like, like I really haven't done anything different in terms of my, what I'm eating or how much I'm eating. So I'm trying to do the things that I think would ease that and not much is, is helping. So that's Mm. a bit of a bummer. Um, and just kind of like, it's just always, uh, no pun intended in the back of my head, just kind of like, lingering like up uh, i could start back up anytime um but the other thorn was i had to go to the auto shop this past weekend and get my inspection done get like oil change and there were a host of other things um that needed to be done my car hadn't had like a big service in a while so i'm gonna have to get new tires pretty soon i've got they had to change a bunch of filters and this and that and so just a a lot uh an expensive trip to the to the Mm -hmm. auto shop which is uh never what you're looking for um however it did prompt me and um kind of a a half seed since it's not my seed but it prompted me to look into like what they were billing me for on my thing and i know that they're not mm-hmm. like ripping me off i go to um i go to an auto shop where my friend's dad works he's the mechanic who like takes care of my car and all mm-hmm. but i was looking at it and like a couple things like changing the cabin filter changing the engine filter are wildly easy to do and mm-hmm. cost the two of those things combined cost a like almost a hundred dollars 
I can buy the filters for like $10 each and right. it would take me five minutes to change both of them right. with like very minimal risk of me like fucking anything up. So it's, it like prompted me to like look into that and be like, Oh, like I can actually do it. Like I've done some small things on my car. I've changed mm-hmm. headlights. I've like done little things here and there. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can actually probably do this in the future and save myself a little bit of money. Um, so that was kind of a, a positive that came out of that. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because well, I think a lot of times what happens is like it's the billing for the time that they do. And depending on right. like, how they want to break that down, if they say like, you know, if something only takes 15 minutes, we bill for 15 minutes or like, well, you bill for the whole hour. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and even like um, just the because it's broken down into like the the manpower, the labor, and the cost of the thing, and even mm-hmm. like the cost of the filters was twice what I could just buy them for on Amazon because sure. I and I, they're probably using like name brand like this and that or whatever. When with that stuff, it doesn't really matter that much. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I I'm like trying to learn a little more car stuff to save myself some money, which is like cool for down the road. Cause I'm uh, not completely incapable of, of doing that stuff. It's just, I've never been taught. So right on some good YouTube videos and all, but um, my actual seed is that uh, these warm days that we're having, I know they may not be here to stay, but they've got me excited about like the nicer weather coming down the line here in the spring. The, the sun is staying out longer. I'm not like in the dark for my entire drive home anymore. Like I, I have been. And so um, it's just got me uh, itching for the nice weather, but I'm trying to hold back my excitement um, until we make it out of the woods with uh, there could very easily just be a week like, two weeks from now that is brutally cold. Um, so I'm not, I'm not breaking out the swimsuit yet and, uh, not, not throwing on the speedo and going tanning on the roof or anything, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, that is my, my rose thorn and seed for this week. Damn dude. My rose would be seeing you in a speedo tanning (laughs) on the roof. I don't know if my uh, my um, neighbors here in the building would agree with you, but <laughs> that's funny. But nonetheless, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Hell yeah, uh, dude! My uh, my rose is maybe maybe a little similar to uh, s- similar to this, but um, my rose here. I've had a bunch of like just appointments things to do i you know things to go pick up and grab um and it's kind of nice to have just a little bit of i don't want to say i don't want to say freedom but just like getting out into the world a little bit being being the one to go pick this up or do this where where previously because i was on you know a lot of dog sitting duty Sarah would do the running around because she was, you know, going to see family or whatever. And I was, you know, watching the dogs. But now that I have a little bit of time during the day, it's just kind of nice to like get out during the day and just do a little driving, do a little, you know, exploring in the sunshine. Um, So I think that that's been that's been a fun seed where I haven't had the like 
onus to. I haven't really had to. Um, so it's fun to just kind of like basically just like make up reasons to go uh, to go frolic in in society. Yeah, you get to meander around, do some people watching, uh, see exactly. see. I'm sure some interesting characters uh, here and there, and kind of entertain yourself, add a little excitement to the day. Yeah. Oh, and there are characters aplenty around here. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. So so that's my rose here, and then my thorn is a little bit of you know you taking your car in um it's that time of year for inspections i gotta re-up this i gotta refile that i gotta call this guy to get a document i gotta get my photo taken um so yeah it's that time of year where you gotta gotta sign everything gotta dot the t's and cross the i's all over again um so it is you know kind of that time of year and always like you said comes with some headaches um my seed here for the week is with a bunch of these meals that I've been talking about. You know, I always, I always big up Sarah a good amount. You know, I say she spoils me this and that, but where I have gotten a lot better is knowing how to, or figuring out how to put myself into a helping position in the kitchen where previously I would come out and like, you know, I don't want to just like ignore her in the kitchen and then just like get to sit down to a hot meal. I would often want to help in some way. She wouldn't always know like the task to give me. She wouldn't always know like how I can help what the process was. So slowly we figured out a little bit of a dance that we do in the kitchen where obviously she's got the main the main role but i figured out ways to be a very like use useful supporting cast member and part of that is like how like we because we have an extra laptop now we can pull that up in the kitchen and like not really mind if you know it gets a little bit of flour on it or whatever so we can pull up the recipe like on a bigger screen where she doesn't have to like have it on her phone you know on whatever Mm, like recipe website so i can see it i can look at what step she's on i can see what we've got and then i can just kind of work around her and just like help like set her up to do like her next thing basically um Yeah, so it's kind of been fun, like, learning, like, being her sous chef in the kitchen and kind of figuring out how I can help and prepare the meals. Like, when we did the Mongolian beef, I, you know, uh, unpackage, clean, slice it up, prepare, get it all, get it all on the plate, do the do the seasoning, get it cornstarch, get it ready for her, just, like, set it aside. So, like, that's a whole thing that she doesn't have to do. You know, I've improved my knife skills with, like, veggie slicing, where I used to be, like, really slow and actually, like, kind of scared of the knife in, in, in some way. Now I've got my – I've got my knuckle cutting down, you know, yeah. where, like – you know, e- even if I am moving a little quick, I'll just like, I'll just nick a knuckle, you know, nothing bad will happen. Um, so yeah, I'm like kind of really getting in a mode and it's, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, nice. I love yeah. that. Like Colleen, um, before we had Senna would sous chef quite a bit, uh, and help me out with things. And it was, that was always my struggle. I, I don't know 
how to, um, I, I'm not the best delegator and that's at work. That's in like cooking and all, because I'm like in my brain, I know my process and everything, but v- like vocalizing it is not always the easiest like thing for me. Um, yeah. And like at work, like similarly, I'm just like, oh, like I know how to do this. So it's easier for me to just do it instead of trying to explain what needs to be done and yada, yada. When if I could do that better, then it will be a short learning curve. And then it's just like good from there. So like you, like you're you're picking up like better knife skills. You're figuring out like where you fit in and everything. And so Colleen would do that a bit as well and, and help me out where she could. But now, uh, now her biggest help when I'm cooking is just keeping the dog preoccupied because sure uh, she, she need the, the puppy needs it. So, but yeah, that's, I imagine, uh, that's that, awesome. I imagine that, uh, the, the doorbell ringing get, can get intense if you know, you guys ignore her for more than 30 seconds. When I when I've had her home alone and I'm like cooking by myself, I I swear to you, the one time Colleen had a work thing after work and I'm like there with the dog and Senna was just I would get through like one step of my cooking, like I sliced up the steak for the teriyaki or whatever, and then had to take her out. Then I seasoned all the meat and veggies and all, and I had to take her out because she rang the bell. And like, this was when she was a little younger. So I didn't know, I couldn't tell if the bell meant I need to go now or like, I just need attention, but it was just like, it slowed the process down. It took me like probably 30 to 45 minutes longer to cook my dinner just because of the amount of like, stop, take her out, make sure she's good come back, start again, stop. Like it was, so that's, uh, that's nice. And I'm sure Sarah appreciates it a lot. Yeah. And it's just like fun to, you know, just hang out and connect. So yeah, that's, uh, that's been nice, but that's my rose thorn seed. I just want to comment one thing on your thorn. There is a possibility, and this is my professional opinion. There's a possibility that your headaches are just from, just some general tension in your head, neck, and shoulders. Well, Maybe schedule a 30-minute massage, have them just like work your skull and your neck, and I'll bet you'll be feeling great. I, I had a feeling because if you remember um, like the past couple of weeks, I had talked about my um, having some back pain, or I think last week maybe just, but having some back tightness and all, and that's still there. Like it's it's become much more isolated, and so now – the the tension and like pain is isolated to a specific spot that I've had like long standing pain. Like I had cortisone shots in my back when I was in high school. Like I've so it's it went from being this like neck head like middle of the back and all to kind of near my right shoulder blade like deep mm-hmm. in there. And I just like beat the hell out of it with the uh the shiatsu massager thing that colleen has i've done that a couple times and it like just has not quite done it so that may be something that i that i have to look to do um coming up soon because i I, Mm -hmm. it had crossed my mind that that might be um a side effect of the the back 
pain and all that I've had. So um, definitely could be a contributing factor. But yeah. <clears throat> so hopefully, uh, hopefully I get that figured out. And yeah, I might just have to to pop in for 30 minutes somewhere here pretty soon. Um, but moving right along into some kind of general news and then F1, um, just a cool thing that I, I'm happy about, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the new um, game that came out recently, the multiplayer mode, they're implementing a ranked system now that that you can like go up and down divisions and kind of progress. They have... Um, certain like unlockable camos and operators and things like that um, based on what rank you are and everything. And so not that I, I don't plan to play it that much because I mostly use the multiplayer game just to level up guns, unlock camos, things like that. Um, But I think it's cool because it, it is something that people have talked about for a while. And now it's like, a nice step in the right direction, I think in terms of like um, saying, Hey, you can play like pubs and just go out. And if you get absolutely shit on by someone who just happens to be in your lobby, that's better than you, then like, that's the way it is. But like, Mm -hmm. also if you want to go and try and like play against similar skill levels, grind, like improve your skills and all, there's a place to do that too. So um, Hmm. I think it's a, a nice little addition, um, whether I'm going to use it or not. I thought it was a cool thing to to see them coming out with there. That's interesting. If you would have asked me just like, you know, man on the street does Call of Duty have a ranked lobbies? I would say I would have said, hell yeah, that's um, that's interesting that they well, don't. So they it. have they have like CDL Call of Duty League, like ladders that right. you can like, I think go into and try and progress as a team to like potentially right. make it high, like into tournaments or whatever, right. but, but no solo, no. Yeah. No, like solo, like ranked mode or anything where you can just kind of grind and like try right. to improve and see, see like just where your skill levels at and all. And I don't know what the breakdown of the different divisions are, but there's going to be like, um, it's going to have like a top 25 on the ladder and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be honest, like that was one of when I early on in the time playing league and everything, when I was really grinding rank, trying to improve, it was really cool being able to go in the client, see the ranked ladder and the top players and like know a bunch of them or like have seen them stream, have seen them on teams. Um, Mm. The one thing that I think was one of the best things that League had in their client previously that they did away with was just being able to pop in to, um, to view like high ELO games. Like th- that thing where you could just oh, go yeah. and spectate like random high ELO games yeah. was super cool because it was on a delay so it was like a 30 to like 30 second to a minute long delay so mm-hmm. like there there wasn't much that someone could really like st- stream snipe you or figure out like everything was too far ahead that you weren't gonna be able to like cheat and, and ruin someone's game but mm-hmm. as a new player it was cool to be able to kind of like see that without 
all of the like additional streamer commentary or only just looking at one view, you can move around the map. So um, just in general, I thought this was like a, a cool addition to, uh, to call of duty. And it reminded me a lot of those like early uh, days of league of legends and all. So mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I never use that tool very much, but I always remember every day I would flip, through those games and just see what was being played at those levels and be like oh okay so like this is kind of the meta i would watch a lot of them when i was like waiting for people to hop on i would like if i like hopped on and like someone was like oh like i'll be on in 15 minutes i'd be like oh i'm popping in to watch one of the i i didn't go into the practice uh tool or like uh and I don't this, think there this was, was pre- one back then. I think it was just tutorial or ARAM. Yeah, well, I, I don't even know if ARAM was around at the time. I think mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even hop into like blind matches or sure. anything. So, um, I mean, just watching better players play is is such a good way to learn. Oh, like, even I, Sarah yeah. when she's been playing when she's been playing Hunt, like it's 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 funny the progression of it, but now she's like in quick plays and the, the solo bounty hunt and what, you know, if she gets killed, she'll just like, she'll just spectate the the players and just watch them and she'll, you know, Ooh. catch things and pick up on things. Nice. Um, so yeah, I think spectate can just be like a really valuable tool. Yeah. I think it's a cool, a cool option to be able to like see. And it's night. Nice, it was nice in the old league client client to be able to do that without having to like, watch a specific like person's point of view like you if you pull up twitch or whatever but um on to some formula one news just uh some some real quick notes las vegas grand prix is going to be on the calendar until 2032 so a long long contract was signed uh for the las vegas grand prix it'll be around for a while um so that'll be uh, a pretty pretty cool thing to have as like a yearly thing. I'm I'm hoping it's a, I'm just hoping that the track actually ends up being like a good circuit to watch, and mm-hmm. they didn't lock in a ten year deal on a track that blows. <laughs> like sure. if it if it just sucks, and you're like, oh, you can't pass anyone, and all. like, yeah, they can change it slightly, but I'm just hoping it's a good good circuit for that. Um, but yeah, long long contract for that. Yeah, that's a uh, I I I hope I don't I I hope I'm not around that long. That sounds so far into the future. I'm like, god damn, I can't even think about that. That's crazy. Oh, it's it's so far and but uh but I think it's nice to like have some things locked in for a while whereas we're year after year going like oh, like this this calendar this uh track was renewed for one more year and like mm-hmm. next year oh it was renewed again or whatever um but there was uh just moving along in f1 notes so there was an interview with uh sergio perez kind of talking about some of the struggles he had towards the end of the year and he basically was saying that um he and the team have worked a lot during the off season to figure out like what went wrong in terms of the direction that they would go for in terms of like car setup and things like that. Um, Cause the, the like headline thing that I saw initially was that uh, Sergio Perez said he was pushing the team in a certain direction. And it's like, 
that is so like minimal in what it sounds like, but you could imagine it means so many things, but it just sounds like he wanted the car to be set up a certain way that was comfortable for his driving, but that wasn't necessarily the, the optimal setup for the car. So they did a lot of evaluating and, and have been working because he really is, is looking to improve and, and hopefully, be able to be a bit more competitive in terms of his, his teammate rivalry and, and also in the championship. So mm-hmm. um, I think that was a, a cool thing to see that they're like, you don't often get to see a lot of what the drivers are doing in the off season to kind of prepare and push themselves forward in the seasons. You see a lot of, Oh, the car, the engine, this, that, but you don't really see, um, as much from the drivers. So I thought that was a neat little insight into, uh, into what he's got going on. Yeah. And I think there's very few people on the grid who can offer like good commentary on, pardon me while I dig gold out of my ear. Um, I think there's like few people who can comment on driver style. Well, on the broadcast to give you a sense of like what the drivers do prefer, what their driving style is. Cause sometimes I think that is like quite difficult to get, uh, kind of get a handle on. Mm. And if I understand the differences correctly, I believe Max wanted what they called like a very pointy front end where like, small inputs from the wheel direct the front direct the front of the car um uh like precisely where i think sergio preferred maybe a a looser front end that gave you like more stability in the rear Mm. um and depending on how those garages work the cars can only lean you know, one way or the other. Um, yeah. and so finding that balance, I imagine would be like pretty tough between, between the two drivers and the, and the, uh, two engineer squads. Yeah. And also looking at it, like, I think we don't get much information on that in general for setup because mm-hmm. things are kept so tight lipped about like how they're setting up cars, because obviously you don't want your competition to be like gleaning any information on um, what can possibly give them a leg up on you. Or maybe if you're doing really, really well, like how they can set up their car, try to like um, direct the engineering of their car to, to kind of match that to catch up in a sense. Um, Mm. Like when, teams figure out something new in league of legends or something uh new meta or new picks that are like really strong or whatever like teams see that and jump on that so quick because it's very visible you're able to be like oh they're picking this champion and oh that that's really strong against this that was really strong so like now Mm -hmm. it like opens the door and then you're looking for oh well if that's really strong now because it beats this other thing that was a heavy heavily picked thing then like what beats that and that's how the meta evolves in league of legends but in in motor racing like it's like you're kind of like oh well it looks like that 
that car maybe has a little more rake than it did last week. The, the end, the back end's a little higher. So they're, or, oh, they swapped out the, the rear wing for a slightly wider wing because they want to have a little bit more, um, maneuverability in these tight turns on this track as opposed to like wanting the downforce uh or the the arrow of the wing for these tracks with this long straight on it or whatever like you can see you have to really like look a lot closer with a an f1 car to try and distinguish like these setup differences that maybe are making a difference so and do you think it's it seems it's less like meta game. It seems like it's less meta game and more like comparable to just like preference and style. Where I don't think a driver is going to change their style based on what they see other people doing. I think I think you're right. That's where the car changes come into play. Um, but that but that doesn't necessarily account for like the driver preference. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like with this, it's like looking at Checo's car next to Max's car. If they have all the same upgrades and everything, like Mm -hmm. we're probably not going to be able to tell what the differences Mm -hmm. are. Um, So I think it's good to see that he's like learning and looking at it more analytically and saying, hey, maybe the way that I wanted to drive this car just was not the most optimal way and we can mm-hmm. we can work to improve on that and i can maybe find a, a way to suit myself more to the optimal setup and whatnot um but looking at uh some of the car reveals and whatnot that came through so the alfa romeo had its first little test run and it does not have the little the little uh, pointy bits on the side um, of mm, the yeah. car. So that was just to look fucking sweet in that car launch, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like that's going to be a concern. So, uh, so it was something that uh, of course we we're looking at um, another bit of news. And I want to hear a, a quick bit from you on this, but uh, Fernando Alonso this week said that, uh, Lance is a, um, is a driver who is super young, super talented and has the possibility to be a world champion. He has the speed, he has the talent. He's shown it many times, especially in wet conditions. And personally, I don't see it. I think he is a, a, uh, average to above average driver in general um i don't see in a lot of cases a reason that he would lose his seat but not world championship potential from the guy um but yeah fernando apparently sees it differently or is just really trying to kiss ass to the team owner yeah uh, sounds like sounds like somebody was paid to say that because uh, the last the last example of Lance having like advantage in the wet, he gave it away just I am pretty sure on unforced errors. So he would have to give a like a reaffirming performance to say like okay this is who he is in 2023 because all i can think of uh i don't want to say that was my Mo- was that monaco 
Might I don't even. I don't even remember what track it was, but Lance like had the advantage for a while. He was leading for like a good amount of laps oh. and then just like fell apart in the closing stages. That was like two years ago. I, I'm not even yeah. sure. Yeah, I can't remember which track it was. But like our like that's our last example of Lance like being out in front and having a good like position in a race and he totally squandered it so you're right i'm i'm kind of not up there with alonzo i would have to see another like really um level-headed stellar performance from lance even put it like p4 just like on a consistent drive and i'd be like like, okay so maybe he has like leveled up and could be something right world champion potential dude not with the other drivers that are on the grid right now i don't see him taking many boards off of a a lando norris a george russell a max a sergio i just Mm. there's too many slots up there for him to fit in especially in that car is what it seems like yeah and i think like lando is the most applicable comparison because the mclaren car at least this past year was right pretty pretty sorry compared to how it's been in previous years um they really did take a step back but even in that instance lando was not only consistently finishing pretty pretty well um when when the car was there for him to a decent capacity but consistently beating his teammate putting in just some some crazy laps that like should not have been possible in the car and like we haven't Mm -hmm. seen that from lance right so i don't really know about that um we also had uh we had nick devries and yuki sonoda on the kiss cam at an nba game just sadly uh, didn't kiss no kiss um but we did have the alpha towery um car release and reveal this week um i think it's I think it's a decent looking car. I, I think we will have to go back through as we get all the cars revealed um, to to kind of look at our favorites. It's uh, very similar in my my mind to how the livery looked, but a lot more red thrown in there, which uh, I think is interesting. Like I don't think of red as being an AlphaTauri team color over the past couple of years since they switched from Toro Rosso. Um, but it, I think it looks like a decent, uh, decent car. Not too different. Any, uh, any initial thoughts? Well, it seems like, excuse me, it seems like the red is coming from the Orlin sponsorship, and it's like a pretty interesting highlight color. But I don't think the, I mean, whatever. If that was me putting it on there, I think it would be maybe like a a darker shade of red but yeah overall i think it looks pretty sweet i like the i like the little wheel covers they'll be they'll be you know spinning red when they're moving all fast i think that's pretty cool um but yeah overall i mean it's just like it's just a good looking car yeah and and i think that's that's part of my problem looking at all these is i just kind of think they all look sweet um but we also had the mclaren reveal of their car a little less um I think a little less of the blue than we've had in previous mm-hmm. uh, previous years, but I thought that they used it to highlight uh, pretty well. Um, they also have uh, the Chrome sponsorship, not only on the wheels, but to the sides of the driver on that uh, engine um, 
air intake on the front mm-hmm. wing. So uh, big Google boys over there at the uh, at the McLaren garage. But um, again, I, I think uh, a nice looking car, but none of these cars have really drastically changed from previous years. So just another no. another sharp car. Sure. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you hit the nail on the head last week um, where most of the development is on the underbody is on the floor. Um, So the 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 sweet stuff we're not really going to see unless you, you know, unless you flip that bad boy over. Um, but even then, like I'm no engineer, I'm no like racing really smart guy yet. So I can't say like, Oh, those side pods look like they're going to be too heavy for the, uh, for the left-handed tracks. And, you know, honestly, I I think the air intake's just going to be a bit too light. Uh, it looks like that McLaren is really going to have some cooling problems. And, and honestly, the engine, it just looks like it's sitting too far back. I mean, they're just going to have, they're just going to have drag issues in the late stage of the races when you're carrying that much weight around um so yeah honestly from a competitive standpoint this mclaren it just doesn't it's just not doing it for me yeah you know i want to be able to give that kind of analysis yeah and i just don't think that these car reveals because even the parts that we are looking at and going oh that looks interesting everything that they go and throw it out on the track and it's gone and we're like oh yes it was just to look cool um, but looking at the, uh, the kind of final two car reveals, the Ferrari and Mercedes, um, both I think look fucking sweet that I, I, they haven't dra- Well, the Ferrari car hasn't drastically changed, but I do love the rear wing having the Ferrari sponsor right there across. Um, I think it's a, it's a really sharp looking car. Um, but the Mercedes, I I do really jive with my like that is I I do also appreciate the differentiation between the cars in terms of the highlight colors for the numbers and whatnot. Like uh, Lewis has that yellow. Um, George gets that highlighter green. I think mm-hmm. that 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 is like something I'd love to see other teams adopt to be able to better differentiate which car is coming or like coming around and not being mm-hmm. like, like in the beginning of the race being like, Oh, and that's the, uh, 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 this car. Like, right. I don't, the Red Bull is getting ahead of the Ferrari. It's like, well, is it Checo? Is it Max? Like in that, all that craziness, uh, if there's someone who tags someone at the beginning and dust kicks up in the air, like you don't know who's who coming through right. there. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the Mercedes look really sharp. And so the, the other thing with these two car launches is just the, the huge difference in the bodies that is visible. You have the very wide, thin, um, side pods there on the Ferrari and, uh, Mercedes has continued with their no side pod design that um, if, I mean, if they can make it work and uh, really nail that down with the, the arrow development and everything, I think could be a, a nice bonus for them. Um, but thus far, uh, we just haven't quite seen it there. So uh, maybe they've continued development and they're going to just come out like lightning. 
Um, but very, very different cars when you look at them uh, head on there. Yeah, and based on based on the performance of the Ferrari last season, going with the with that scoop design, um, it seemed like it was a pretty good way to to set up your car. I'm surprised. I'm surprised Mercedes maybe didn't. What should I say? Maybe didn't move like further in that direction, but they seem to have appreciated what they did last year and just you know kind of kind of working along that because especially and this is kind of how i'm trying to align my thinking is based on what team principals usually say in interviews when prompted about other teams is it sounds like they don't really notice from a like a general standpoint they're not like looking for notes they definitely take notice but they're not saying like oh we should look to copy that they're just kind of like yeah they're doing what they're doing um so yeah, I, I often take those thoughts of mine with a grain of salt where it's like, well, they're not necessarily like looking to steal engineering notes. They've already no, done their own. Yeah. Work. No, I just find it I find it very interesting because this is like kind of um what we've discussed a little bit with the teams in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh, all the cars just look very the same and this team copied that team's previous year's car design or whatever. These cars look so different. I think the the design going without the side pods. My biggest curiosity with that is how much weight do you save? Because yeah, no, that's a good point. When you're looking at um, those things and the the minuscule differences in weight and everything, having just all that extra carbon fiber material for those side pods is just a lot of extra weight that that Mercedes seems to have cut out. If it gives them the same speed as the ferrari in general or the same horsepower just having the lighter frame will will give them tenths in terms of time so mm-hmm. um two two pretty cool looking cars that have some some pretty different uh different designs so i'm i'm very excited to get into the season i know we all are are itching to to be back but uh um, I, I'm very curious to see how that Mercedes does when it when it comes out. Yeah, I based on based on the news, I think there's some some work to do. I think the the two drivers had a initial shakedown recently of the vehicle. Was, um, I think this morning, yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, so I, you know, obviously they're always going to say things to change. They're never going to say like, oh yeah, we've got a winning car here. No, um, you know, no, no more development necessary. Yeah. I think, um, the issues they had this morning from what I was reading look like they are, they look like they are solvable. Um, based on what I saw, it looks like there was something that was mounted incorrectly with the, uh, engine to the chassis. So, um, which caused the engine to, to not really, um, or to have like misfirings and things like that. So it's probably something that's, uh, that's relatively fixable. Um, something not so fixable for the rest of the grid is that Lewis, uh, also said that, he is planning to stay a little bit longer when talking about his future with Mercedes. So um, he is going to be sticking around. He has that. uh, The man is just a competitor. And Mm -hmm. I, 
I will. It will be a sad day when he leaves the grid. I think it will be a. I see Lewis as being someone who will leave on a relatively high note and not just kind of meander around the grid. Like, um, uh, like not to say that Kimi Raikkonen, like I love Kimi Raikkonen, but he was doing it for fun at the end and like really didn't have the drive to, to get back to a world championship level. Um, but he was still a great driver, but I don't see Lewis being like, ah, I'm still good. So I'll just like go and like, uh, a lower tier car and all like I, I think Lewis is going to leave on a pretty high note. And so I, I think that will um, leave a, a pretty, pretty big hole in the competition of, of the formula one grid. So um, it's exciting to see him saying he's going to be around a bit longer because I know it'll be a, a sad day for, for the grid when he does decide to retire. Well, and the same goes for any like pillar of a sport, you know, once the once the goat or not I don't want to use that term, once the uh top competitor of an era decides to, you know, retire, or, you know, change uh like change goals or whatever, it does become kind of like a uh a closing chapter or you know the the start of something new because then there's a bit of a vacuum for that player you're kind of searching for the the player the driver that is going to be the like the it guy to look at that's going to like draw those eyes and be like an ambassador for the sport and just the the the, the guy that wins you know the tom yeah. brady of the of the orgs um, but yeah. And I, I think the other thing that crossed my mind is that I don't imagine that there is going to be a large gap of time between when Lewis retires from formula one and when max retires from formula one based, based on everything that max has said, I don't think he plans to be a 15 year on the grid kind of guy. I think he, he maybe looks to, to peace out after, I don't know, 10 years or so where he's been around since uh, what, like 2015 or so. And so, or 2016, maybe he might just, just be like, yeah, all right, 20, 2025, like, or whenever his contract's up, uh, to just be like, hey, uh, I'm good. I'm going to go pursue other things. So I would imagine that the potential vacuum of space in a short amount of time might be just massive if they both decide to uh, to leave at similar times. Well, I think a beautiful thing would be if one of them leaves first and the answer from the other is like, well, I'm retiring too then. Like if he's not staying, I'm not staying. Yeah. Like like they see they would see each other as like their only competition. They're the only they're the only thing worth driving against. They're the only thing that like yeah, yeah, he's the only one that can beat me. Like why Yeah. You know, I, like that to me is like a beautiful relationship where these guys mm-hmm. have like taking taking each out each other out on the grid just like 
animosity and tension and championships and yeah. but but in the end they're both like well yeah he's that's the only reason i'm doing it is because he's the <laughs> only guy that could like take races from me yeah i just want to beat that fucker <laughs> well exactly because you like you've already beaten everybody else every single time at a certain point right. you would just be like victory lapping every race yeah no, I, I think that is uh, that is cool. It's just uh, it's a weird thought because for at least our time being in Formula One, I don't know if we've had. I think Seb is the biggest uh, biggest retirement that we've had, or, or biggest person leaving the grid, and we weren't even paying attention to the sport when Seb was at his greatest. So mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of a difference uh, in in looking at that. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to a couple more years at least of uh, Lewis and Max getting after it. Nonetheless, we do have our team previews to get into. I think that leads us pretty well into your your team preview here with uh with the Mercedes team here. And my team this week, like you said, I have Mercedes, and you know if you're in the market for, do I want do I want a, a partner older than me? I don't know. Do I want a partner much younger than me? I'm not so sure. There's 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 beauty and pros and cons in each of them. Oh man, if I go young, oh boy, just think of that. But you know, you go with a little more experience, a little bit of gray on the gray on the muzzle. I mean, what could happen here? And with my team this week, Mercedes, you can get bet the best of both worlds you get the young stud and the old experienced uh you know uh tried tried and true racer but and i'll just give you i'll just give you the quick hits here so mercedes started in 1970 they took the spot of because as i'm now understanding like the 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 pedigree is like who you bought the team from and like Mm. how the org changed hands but they describe that as like oh but that's like the history of this team even though it's owned here they have this spot which is like actually kind of interesting um so that's kind of why i've been laying it out this way because that's kind of the way that the data is being told as well um so it started in 1970. It has roots in the old Tyrrell squad and the old BAR teams, which was a uh, British American tobacco company. So it was big tobacco putting money into into this Formula One squad. Big tobacco Much- has been been a huge Formula One sponsor. Oh, I know. Like, because wasn't it Mar- Marlboro McLaren? Yeah, was and Ferrari, they were a big sponsor of for a while. Like those, uh, it's been, it's been gas company, uh, petrol companies and tobacco companies for, for as long as, uh, as anyone can remember. They say the world runs on Duncan. No, the world runs on tobacco and petrol. There you Um, go. (laughs) And it is, it is evident in like the owners of, of this squad, but so the the team history dates all the way back to the 30s where Mercedes-Benz competed in Grand Prix racing. They had two winning years in 54, or dates back to the 30s, and then made a return in 54 and 55 with Fangio 
at the French Grand Prix, had two winning years in 54 and 55. And then the the rest of the Mercedes like competition team, most of their success comes like in the modern age. Like you can kind of ignore a whole lot of that. It's it's basically just like boring history. And then they really don't start winning until like 2012. So they re-enter the fold 2010. 2012 comes along. Well, I should say it's actually pretty notable. 2010, they had Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher when he returned to the sport. Um, 2010, 2011, 2012, nothing really of note. Michael Schumacher ends up pretty frustrated as he's like really not able to get a whole lot done. And then I believe it's 2012 at the Malaysian or or no, it's twenty. It's the 2010 Malaysian Grand Prix where Nico scores a podium, and then I believe he doesn't win until 2012. Um, so all sorts of just kind of like middling history for Mercedes, kind of until Nico and Lewis enter the fold, and mm. they really, really elevated Mercedes to like what we think of today. Like, you know, you could say that just man on the street to anybody and they'll be like, Oh yeah, they're like, they're like top of the thing, but they've only been for very recently. So what we know of Mercedes is a very like modern, modern uh, streak of just, of just winning. Like they have eight world championships. They have 116 P ones. Dude, literally every other team I've talked about has had like one P1, one or like maybe two. And it's like really exciting. And that's why I spent my whole time talking about, dude, these guys have 116 wins, 116. That's literally Nico, Lewis and Valtteri. There are not like a whole lot of drivers that have like been on this squad. Um so this is a, a this is a team that very, just fucking wins. Yeah, very quick rise to power. They yeah. they did not fuck around too long after uh getting going with Jen uh Jensen Button and uh who else was was there? Oh, you're right, that's the I'm name trying that I missed. To, yeah, but but Jensen Button was not like winning right much for the team, if at all. I don't think that was uh the early years of Mercedes where, where they were really a midfield car. Um, Mm. But you're right. Like Lewis and Nico, that was kind of the jump start to a lot of success from the team. Yeah. Crazy. 116, uh, 116 P ones, 128 pole positions, 91 fastest laps. So we all know what happened in 2021 tragedy, heartbreak, no matter which, no matter which side of the fence you're on. But 2022 is probably their like one would argue like their worst year in their like recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it was an incredibly upward trajectory. We couldn't help but sing their praises all of last year. Uh, we saw a rising George Russell. We saw a 
a team working Lewis Hamilton. He was in much different form than we've seen him in previously, but mm-hmm. still seemed to be like excelling at that new role of like experimental team, like team helper driver, who's going to do the, like the off strategy kind of thing where George Russell then was just left to like, Oh, sorry. I'm actually, uh, uh, I forgot my role is George Russell. I'm just supposed to be in P4 or greater in literally every single race I'm a part of. So going into next year, they have a driver who is pretty used to winning, but helped Russell win. And then also you have George Russell, who all he did was succeed last year ended on a high note one of the last races of last year george russell gets a dub his first formula one race win formally so they rise the whole year and on a massive high so i think we can only really expect great things out of mercedes going into next year and like from a fan's perspective you would say like we hope mercedes is back to their winning ways and all of the evidence really points to that being the case because even in 2022's position where you may have had some negative connotations to your commentary about a Mercedes they were they still ended up as one of the top teams on the grid and and for some reason people just still had like this negative take about it and like oh but they're not even in not the best um even not being at the top of the grid position they were still the best at not being at the top of the grid So I think that says something about like the team's work ethic, the organization, the organizational skills of the teams, just the whole thing is all firing on all cylinders. Even if they're not getting the dubs, they're at least doing not getting wins better than, than anybody else. Yeah, they were, they were the best of the rest and competing for wins at the end of last season. And how dare you not include George Russell's one win in that 116 win count, putting it all to Lewis and Valtteri and Nico. How dare you? No, sure, sure. Good joke. But you, you get what I'm saying, where no, it was like I, a it, small amount of people oh, are making just, this very large number. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, 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 but you're right. Yes. George did win one of them. Oh gosh. No, it, it's incredible. Like really what they've done in formula one. It is not easy to continue winning for that long. I mean, Red Bull had their four-year spurt when they had Seb getting his four world championships and then Mercedes very quickly eclipsed that. Like It's very easy for teams at the top of the grid to figure things out and overtake someone just enough. to. And it's like in the recent history of Formula One, once you're in heavily into the Mercedes years, of of being dominant and all yeah there weren't weren't other teams really competing for the constructors but in that 2015 2016 like 
earlier on, there are there are battles for mm-hmm. for those world championship points and everything. And so, uh, yeah, I, Mercedes they they have a great structure of a team. They really have um, built that up over uh, in a very short amount of time to be so successful. And it's super super impressive. Yeah, and to be honest, it was a it was a really fun team to learn about. I didn't um I didn't really understand where Mercedes like came from. I didn't know the roots. Uh so it was that was pretty fun to pretty fun to get into. But yeah, your team this you're not Ferrari this week, are you? I'm not. They are they are next week. I had the boys over at Alpine, the yes. Frenchman. Um and so, so looking at this team, they've got they've got two race winners. Not something that most of the grid can say. Um, and so, looking at their their history, history similarly, this is the team slot that had the Benetton slot, where Michael Schumacher won his uh, constructors championship and two of the his drivers championships. Um, Renault then purchased the team after Renault, it became Lotus Renault, um, then back to Renault, then now over to Alpine. Um, but with their time as Alpine, they have seen some, some decent six, decent success in their, their two seasons officially as an Alpine team. Um, and like I said, two race winners, but also only being a official Alpine team for two years. They're also making steps forward in other areas of their organization. They are taking on um, an Alpine Academy lineup. So they're not just trying to um, produce good quality at the F1 level with their drivers, but they're also taking on uh Formula Two Jack Duhan and uh who is a multiple time race winner in Formula Two. They brought in the reigning Formula Three champion Victor Martins, who will be uh part of the Alpine um uh Alpine Academy lineup racing for ART in Formula Two this year. They also brought in Nikola Solov, who is one of the young, promising drivers who's going to be with ART in the Formula 3 grid. So they're they're starting to really look at these younger drivers and look to try and build the kind of um, structure as some of these larger teams that you see with Mercedes having their Mercedes Academy that you saw George Russell benefit from to get his slot with Williams after being the formula two champion, um, getting that time in the grid to, uh, accustom himself in formula one and then move up to that Mercedes slot. So Alpine is, is going to similarly be looking to build, um, some of these young drivers into, bigger talents down the line to, to potentially fill slots as they need to in the future. And I think that's a a really cool thing that um, not every team has and is, uh, is really 
putting an effort into, or at least maybe didn't as quickly as Alpine has taking their slot on the grid here. Um, but looking at the two drivers they have, Esteban Ocon has been driving in Formula One for uh, a few years now. He was a test driver, a reserve driver initially. He raced for Force India, then Racing Point. He was a test driver then for Mercedes on uh, their their main team in 2019 um, as part of their Mercedes Young Driver program. Um, then joined or rejoined the F1 grid at Renault, uh, and then with Alpine was able to to go out and get a win at the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix, um, where after a lot of chaos, Valtteri taking out people who then took out people who then took out other people in a big, crazy mishmash. Um, we end up with a little bit of rain out on the track. Everyone switches tires as soon as Lewis Hamilton gets past the pit lane entry and Lewis is just hung out to dry uh, or hung out to wet, I guess, as it were, um, uh, with the, the wrong tires. And uh, Mr. Esteban Ocon was able to, to hold off um, some, some very good drivers behind him to, to go ahead and take his uh, first and, and thus far only race win. Um, in similar style, we have Pierre Gasly, who when he is at Alpha Tauri, gets his first race win, is able to bring that uh, that experience to this Alpine team this year. Both of them, Frenchmen, Alpine, a French team. I think that is really, really cool in terms of the uh, sponsorships and the potential for their organization to really just like have this cohesion and and drive of not just this is our team but this is our country this is like what we are racing for who we are racing for i think that motivation um from the team really will will drive them forward um and pierre gasly as well as esteban ocon someone who has been a part of the grid for uh, a bit has had their ups and downs similarly we've seen him at his lows, we've seen him lose his seat at Red Bull to Alex Albon, as we saw Esteban Ocon lose his seat and become a test driver for Mercedes. We've seen these guys go from these these positions on the grid to losing that, struggling a bit, and then still coming back from their drive and determination uh, to be successful. And so I think that this grid, uh, this team on the grid has a lot of potential, um, a lot of promise. I think the Alpine car this past season was a very, very quick car. Obviously, they Mm -hmm. finished fourth on the grid. And having two young, talented drivers in those positions who are, are not just freshmen out there trying to make sense of the F1 world. They're they're coming in as as young guys with talent who who have gotten the opportunity to have experience. 
that they're bringing to this team to to propel them forward at that top of the midfield kind of slot. So mm-hmm. I'm looking uh, looking for them to continue that um, moving forward, and and really I do expect them to be uh, very successful this coming year whether that is top of the midfield successful to potentially um, I would not be shocked to see them pick up a podium here or there. If the car um, is able to maintain the level that it was this past year. Yeah. Especially, especially with the fact that like, like, like you had said, we've seen these drivers do it before. Um, So given the proper weaponry, I think they will be more than capable to, uh, to do it again for their, for their French brothers. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm excited. They've uh, they've had their history, kind of like um, Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg. They've uh, they've cropped each other out of Instagram photos where someone took the the picture of all of both guys with their girlfriends or the posse or whatever, and they cropped out each other. They've had some beef from collisions back in the day. From um, what I have. Uh, meandered through some history of potentially stolen girlfriends and this and that uh young young person drama high school type drama um from from way back in the day but they uh seem to be putting that in the past and and really moving forward as a um as a team this year um but i think similarly to the haas team there were a couple question marks that uh that popped up question mark pings popping up above uh above their heads but they are moving forward and uh and looking to bring some continued success to this alpine team damn i'm curious being eskimo brothers if there's <laughs> like if there's an element of the pillow talk that like they don't care about like you know comparing uh you know, comparing sizes, they would just get frustrated. <laughs> if, if the girl would be like, you know, he said he was faster than you by like two tenths. <laughs> he's got he's got two tenths on you. Not they don't care inches. about inches; they care about tenths. <laughs> All right, sorry, I guess uh, I guess in um, in Europe it would be centimeters, but there you go, either right. way, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, no, no, they, you don't understand. Like it was cold out that day. <laughs> the, tire, the, tires, the tires were gold. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, but yeah, I think the, the Alpine team, um, I think they have two very good drivers. I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, um, for one, Pierre Gasly return to having some really good performances after uh, the AlphaTauri kind of took a step back and he struggled this past year. Um I, I expect him to be back to to competing very uh, fervently with Esteban Ocon and um, and seeing the two kind of duke it out in that that tight rivalry there. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be an interesting new squad um, for them. Definitely like a new 
uh, what would you say? Like a, like a new identity for them. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. going to be really, really fun and exciting to watch for 2023. But Absolutely. yeah, we got just two final teams to talk over. I imagine, uh, I imagine Aaron will be your Red Bull expert for next week. And I was thinking I'll- the opposite just because I think, really? it, I think it would be fun for you to, uh, to go through that and all. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about it, uh, a little bit later. But yeah, two more teams to talk about. We've got Ferrari and Rebel coming up next week. And then, thank gosh, after that, we will be like right into uh, right into the 2023 season. So hopefully these uh, team breakdowns have been helpful and, you know, can kind of uh, prepare us for, um, you know, with, with the info of what to expect moving into moving into this season, especially we've seen a bunch of car reveals and whatnot as well. So we're uh, pretty primed and ready going into going into into the season. Yeah, and I think that's kind of was our goal to lead up into it pretty well. Um, but we do have some League of Legends to get to. Justin, where would you like to start today? Want to start at the bottom and work our way up? Yeah, that works for me. Because the the hundred thieves versus Team Liquid game, um, I thought was you know pretty pretty interesting. There's um, uh, from a I think from a draft perspective, pretty similar to what we've been seeing. Um, but if you want to start in the pick and ban for the Liquid and Thieves game. Yeah, so looking at uh, the two teams during their pick and ban here. Um, we're seeing a lot of things that are um, kind of standard. You're seeing the Zeri, you're seeing the Elise get banned out. But of course, Bjergsen still drawing the zillion bands. Um, Which to me is just silly. Just call it Zillion Man because that just doesn't make sense. It is, <laughs> I, I don't really understand like how that can be such a concerning pocket pick but we're seeing it in north america and i will have to say so i watch i watch the lck series then i watch the lpl series like these all back to back and then i watched the lcs game that we picked and i was sitting there watching the lcs game and just going Oh, we're bad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was sitting there, and and it's not just like it's not necessarily entirely quality of players, but the game just seems so much slower and so more indecisive from mm-hmm. what we're seeing over in the LCK and the LPL. Like watching them so like close together, just back to back to back just gave me such a brutal picture of North America. And I'm not, I'm not hating or anything right now. I think that, like I said, there's a lot of talent, but going into this game, a very interesting like set of picks. We're seeing the double ranged uh, bot lanes from both sides, which I think is, is something that um, we'll continue to see a little bit here and there, but um, it was, kind of an an interesting mix for those uh you have mega range from the caitlin and varus you have um 
just I, I think a weird pairing. The Sivir Ash, I don't think in my mind makes the best pairing because I, I think the Sivir DPS and just getting lots of those shurikens thrown out there and everything is really her her forte where I think with the ash like you're looking to just create tons of CC where you can just layer it between the two champions you can throw down a Varisol and then immediately put a Caitlyn trap underneath the person and really just continue this lockdown that allows for um, for you to to just blow someone up very easily. I think it's a weird mix there, um, but I did like to see on the side of TL the Pioshik on the uh, the Maokai. I think mm-hmm. that is a super strong pick, as we'll we'll see going into the LPL and LCK a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very uh, I guess like similar drafts across the board. Very brawly in the top lane, tanky in the in the jungle. Um, these ranged mages in the mid lane and the double range support. So really, it, it did kind of come down um, off the bat to a skill gap in terms of these these teams playing against each other from from the beginning after the draft. Yeah, yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. Um one of the first things that stood out to me was the the oh, I can't think of the word. The like top lane mismatch between um between Summit's Renekton and Tenacity's Jax at mm-hmm. at some point i think it was like the maybe like the 12 13 minute mark someone had like a 40 cs gap on tenacity and then mm-hmm. just as quickly looking down tenacity then just solo kill summit because he got like a little too close under turret tenacity was just able to run him down and it's mm-hmm. like what the fuck like there's a world where that 40 cs gap was just everything Pioshik just comes top every time and they just like push it down but they did nothing with that lead. Tenacity, like without closer, is just able to get that solo kill. And now all of a sudden he's like kind of back in the game. And now they have to like worry about this guy. Um, so like, w- what were your thoughts about that? Cause I thought that was a total, like l- just total missed opportunity. Like what were they doing? Well, it just like flipped the, the script of the game because you're early on, you're seeing, Closer and Pioshik are like not really doing much different. It's pretty even in the mid lane early. They're both looking to just like scale. Um, the bot laners just don't have enough damage really early to do that much. And Team Liquid had the the initial lead. They got the first blood. And all it took was overextending that one time for Tenacity to, to take that. Um, and then just kind of take the money and run, like started building quickly um, to to get advantages over over Summit in the top lane there. Um, I think the as I was seeing the team fights kind of play out, one of the biggest things that I saw as they were grouping and looking to fight over objectives was just the big difference between the bot lanes in terms of their range because Mm -hmm. you're seeing like i said the sivir ash it's a ranged matchup but 
like I had kind of previously said, I think typically you see like the Ash and the Varus together where mm-hmm. you're getting like a lot of poke damage range. You're, you have that lockdown from both ultimates and the, the range that double lift had on the Caitlyn versus the Sivir, And similarly where Busio and core JJ had have a relatively close range, um, to each other on uh, mm-hmm. on Ash and the Varus, Hundred Thieves was just able to put out so much damage without getting touched initially in these team fights, and they were able to really, really push those advantages to be able to to start taking some like macro advantages around the map as well. Um, and so, like having the top lane lead, having that bot lane range advantage that kind of turns into a bot lane lead. I mean, Bjergsen just really had it easy in there in this uh, mm-hmm. matchup. He just got got to kind of sit there, scale up, throw down some great walls. But um but yeah, I think the um the pick and ban just left and after the initial um outplay from Tenacity on Summit just kind of left Hundred Thieves with a a pretty solid advantage. Yeah, I would agree. And like I see what they were going for with the Siver Ash where you get the the Siver Alt speed up your squad and the Ash to just like pick and engage when you want it and then you have the movement speed to follow up. Um I definitely get that. I think there was a lot of counterplay for that type of movement. Uh, with Bjergsen with the walls mm-hmm. like you could see Siveral be popped and then just like you can't you can't run through the wall it doesn't matter how quick right. you are um so yeah it was it was an interesting interesting little duo I don't think it worked out that well um you're right I think Bjergsen was pretty um pretty cruise control throughout most of the game although obviously his his walls were solid in oh, the fights that he huge. showed up for just cut off huge swaths of the battlefield um and secured hundred thieves like mostly just positioning which is just as good as getting kills in those scenarios um it's hilarious to look at a team full of deathless thieves and just look at busio who clearly has just like never played a day in his life like this guy's just doing reckless things i feel like i i i I feel like I want to see cleaner support play and we're just not getting it out of these guys. I I would agree with Busio having to be a little bit more cautious. He he got caught out a little bit uh a few times, but I think that there were some positives from Team Liquid side. They were able to get uh get a pick on, I believe it was um tenacity and then turn that into two mid lane turrets and pushing mm-hmm. down to the inhib turret a little bit getting some damage so they they had these moments where they were taking advantage of the opportunities that they got but overall the um the play from 100 thieves was just very very well played out very clean not only with the talia ults and blocking off um sections of the map like they did in the uh the team fight at dragon um but that that allowed the range damage that we were seeing from busio and double lift to really benefit them in that initial Mm -hmm. fight 
but also double lift just laying down these Caitlin trap lines yep. that were that were sectioning off dra- the dragon from fights between the two of that those things I would have just been so annoyed <laughs> being mm-hmm. on yeah, like like it was it was brutal and there there was not much that um that could be done and then of course team liquid being behind just went for some kind of crazy uh I, I felt like they didn't have a they they didn't have a way back into the game once they sure. got behind we saw sure. um we saw uh Harry try to tp on the azir behind uh 100 thieves to hopefully come in and get an azir ult on them get that big sharima shuffle and just get annihilated um and then double lift was just too big once it got mm-hmm. later in the game that it didn't really matter what happened it was just a kind of foregone conclusion if double lift didn't die the game is over sure yeah he uh he played quite quite a strong game i think his engages around the around the neutral objectives were you know pretty solid that wall of that wall of traps that you get on the entrance to the to the pit is like quite hard to deal with depending on what your comp is and especially like a a maokai a maokai renekton that has to just like walk at you um you're you're pretty well locked out so yeah ggs to 100 thieves in that position Definitely. I, I thought that was pretty, pretty impressive play from them. Um, where do you want to go next? Do you want to hop over to, to China or to, to Korea? Well, you said you did, you said you did Korea, China, uh, LCS. So let's do LCS, China, Korea. Sounds good. So uh, for the LPL, the matchup we were looking at was LNG versus OMG. Um, and so initially in game one, LNG just had, um, one of the big things that I was impressed with was their, uh, their macro play. They were able to really kind of take their control that they had in the bot lane of the, uh, strong Draven damage that they have from LP and the, the CC from Hong and just kind of push that into, taking free dragon initially um, forcing OMG off their bot lane turret for what felt like an eternity, just not allowing them to just letting a, and like wave after wave die to the bot lane turret and putting OMG behind. Um, and, and there really wasn't much that OMG could do there. They had, they had Tarzan on the Elise. They, they just had too much damage in that matchup um, and really utilized it well to, to kind of propel them forward. Um, LNG like, and they just continued to push these, like this strong objective control. They get the dragon soul. They go and start posturing for the Baron end up just losing the Baron in a smite fight, which, uh, which really, set them back a bit but mm-hmm. in general they they played just a really clean macro play i also really really liked the jace mid and the gwen top lane picks that they had going um and having that 
Jace mid with the sh- very strong split pushing uh, AP top laner, um, I think is a is a really nice matchup because they did have a lot of good engage, but between the Jace and the Draven, they had s- it. It's so hard to itemize on the OMG side against so much heavy AD damage and then just the AP damage coming out of the Gwen and the Elise. Um, so I was, I was just very impressed with, uh, kind of the coming out hot out of the gate with, uh, with LNG. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just a, just a great thing to say about it. They, cause I really like the plan. I really like the draft. Um, the Nautilus Elise is just super aggressive, offers up a good amount of roams. And then interestingly, you have, you have scout on the Jace who like, to help out that bottom side aggression, you don't even have to come all the way in. You can just shoot, you can just shoot your shot glass like from the jungle and like still be, still be offering help, but not dedicate like so much time. Um, so I just like the amount of like roam potential and aggression that they had uh, for the team comp. And then they have so much neutral control that they're just able to stack up four drakes, mm-hmm. keep, keep the keep omg off and just and just like you said just played out really strong team fights really aggressive and uh and took game one yeah and even after omg took that baron and stole it away from them they just were like okay we're just gonna close it out and slowly just like basically slowly cause omg to bleed out (laughs) from this Mm -hmm. they're like we're gonna just continue to push as many lanes as we can take as many objectives jungle control everything and just suffocate you back into your base instead of trying to go for some big grand gesture that's gonna that's gonna take it all they're just like nah we're just we we went for that and it didn't work so we're just gonna like choke you out now um but coming into game two omg uh had a solid team fight comp in my opinion looking at the Cassante they have some displacement there they have <clears throat> the displacement from the Maokai PP god on the um the Renata with the handshake so you're setting up a lot of potential for the Yone to to be able to get the ultimate off with a lot of tankiness from your your surrounding comp so you're not just like oh well if we get this engaged the top laner dies or this person dies. like you're setting yourself up to be able to dive in um get this displacement allow varus to hit from the outside allow yone to get ultimates and i was really just impressed with that their team comp and and kind of cohesion there um I felt like LNG with their draft tried to do something pretty similar in terms of the the style, but I really liked OMG's matchup in terms of just the way that everything worked together from the get-go. Yeah, and from the OMG perspective, I think one of the elements that shined is Shanji on the Kesante. Like the amount of disruption that he had in the fight against the excuse me, against the immobile ADs of Jin and Ash. Like he was just he was just annihilating team fights because they couldn't really like move around him. He just demands so much space and just taking out these two ADs, which 
Jin and Ash in this position other than the like the on click from Renekton and the alt from Sejuani. There's not a whole lot of other like consistent CC. So you take those two ADs out, you know, the root from Jin and the and the alt from alt and slow from Ash, and you really begin to not lock down OMG becomes free to like run around once once those mm-hmm. elements are gone. Um, so I think Shanji playing kind of backline disruption was really strong in these team fights. And you can see how a champion like that, like you can just see why Kesanti is so powerful. He just does not seem to die and just wrecks these carries and can mm-hmm. just find them from so far away. And from OMG's side, I think Shanji was really, really strong at doing that in the game. Yeah, and I I was very impressed by like his just laning and then team fighting as a mm-hmm. whole. But OMG um, just throughout the game was able to kind of continue to stay ahead. They were getting picks and not losing people um, against a, a very good LNG team who um, had not lost a, a single game up until this point. Um right. LNG were trying to set up objectives first, but just not really um, being able to entirely close OMG off from them. Um, we saw LNG just winning fights, but then kind of faltering slightly after they they got a dragon, but then go and base and are too slow to get back to the Baron um, that OMG are able to get. Um, And then it just kind of comes down to this final fight around the dragon after all of this back and forth and posturing. And, uh, and after OMG are able to, to get that, they, they took it home. So closing out after really fighting to stay um, ahead and keep a lead against a very good team. I was, I was impressed by that from, from them. And I think their strong team fight like played into that very well. Um, And then going, going into game three, this was a very interesting game three with the picks. Um, You see the Tristana mid from scout versus Krems, uh, or Creams, uh, Cassidin. Um, sorry, someone said, uh, or I, I don't, do you say creme de la creme earlier? No, someone said that to me at work, and I was like, that was what was in my mind. Um, like best of the best. Okay, gotcha. So that's why I said cream that way. But <laughs> anyway, we have, uh, cream on the Cassidin. We have, um, the Samira Alistar in the bot lane, which is a super, super like fun and exciting uh, kind of matchup down there to be able to dive heavily. And we see um, LNG look to counter that by having the range from Varus, but also the Leona to, to give some, some CC and tankiness and protection. Um, so just really some off the wall picks from the mid lane down, um, outside of the Cassidin pick, um, in the initial, uh, kind of pick ban of this game. Yeah. And it was a lot of, well, it was a lot of LNG just like being in the advantage through the game, but there was a point where OMG's team comp 
kind of turned on. They got enough items. They got enough levels under their belts where they really like started doing damage where I, I remember a point in the game where they're like, they're like nine, 10 K down, you know, after, after LNG has played pretty, pretty consistently through this, this point to gain leads, but OMG, like, they win a fight here. They take this advantage here. And you're like, holy heck, like there's actually a world where there's like where this game ends with OMG winning. I think Cassidy was like growing. Obviously, the like his his death score isn't really telling of, I think, how mm-hmm. potent he was on the map and how disruptive he was. Um, and Abel getting a couple of fights where that S rank just popped off and did so much damage uh Mm. there there was a world where this very aggressive dive heavy comp from ong like won and took the bacon yeah no it it very easily could have happened and i think we saw that in particular around the um the one of the late dragon fights where or i think it was uh elder um the elder dragon fight because omg Mm -hmm. got poked out super super hard initially um they kind of had to peel back reset stay alive and then were able to to re-engage and get a really good fight but unfortunately for them you have tarzan going with this crazy ap maokai like super strong um build because of the lead that he had and the the number of Mm -hmm. kills that's just the saplings are doing stupid damage. Mm-hmm. He's able to sustain up a quarter of his health. Like every time he gets his, um, uh, his passive, passive, yeah, his passive proc off and everything. And so they just, he's able to keep them in it for so long and deter OMG from being able to take like the objectives that they needed to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, really um, were able to just kind of uh, finagle a win out of a, a tight game and uh, by going for the, the base race with the stopping the backs at the Elder Dragon because they were like, this is too close. Let's just let's just make this decisive move and commit to it. And, and it paid off, but it was not... Um, it was a very, very tight battle against LNG, who who had not dropped a single map up until this, uh, until game two of the series. Sure. Well, you could see the the final sequence was less of a base race well, and yeah. more of more of LNG like capitalizing on LNG's mistake, where Tarzan was giving them so much trouble around the dragon pit where they literally teleported Shanji and cream in to kill him. So they burn both their teleports and immediately the, the uh, Zika and scout TP into the base. And it was just over as they're just like running back, trying to get there. Um, So like blunder from ONG and really strong heads up play from LNG to see that that like, that play was available. Tarzan kind of had them, had them running around and, and on the ropes. Um, so yeah, it was it was heads up and just a matter of getting the getting the auto attacks down. Absolutely. So uh, really a uh, exciting finish to a, a tight series, but um, 
OMG really impressed me in uh, in how they matched up versus LNG. I know that they're um, they're still down towards the bottom of that uh, standings, but I I think that they showed a lot of potential for uh, themselves moving forward. And I think if they can kind of fine tune some of their their play, that they will be a uh, a very difficult challenge for a lot of teams in the LPL. Um, but then moving over to the LCK, we had the KT Rolster matchup versus Generation Gaming Gen G. Yeah, and before we get into the KT Rolster versus Gen G, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll be right back. All right, so now we're back to talk about KT Rolster and Gen G. This was an interesting matchup, being that KT Rolster has taken down some of the top teams in LCK right now in like what I would argue is kind of like um, maybe like upset fashion. Um, so I was interested to see how they were going to do up against uh, up against Gen G. And boy, this series did not disappoint. No, it definitely didn't. Um... Just from the start at in game one, um, from the get-go, we're seeing just kind of some posturing, some some early kills uh, in the bot lane. Um, and then Dorn in the top lane was just getting some some good advantages early in terms of his, uh, his CS um, being able to kind of push Keen out a little bit. So they they tried to come out strong and just push uh push some early advantages on the the Gen G side. Yeah, and I think that's what they kind of drafted their team comp to do. Um but maybe a little uh maybe a little bit over aggressive. I think maybe staying in positions where they should have just like took what they gained and backed off. Um, so interestingly, they had a, like a bit of a gold advantage over Gen Genji in the early game. But like I said, I think some of this early aggression caused that, caused that lead to kind of fall back in the, in the favor of Genji. Um, what I thought was interesting was the like consistent red side NAR blind on fourth pick and not like really being that punished in this case by Doran. Um, and overall, I think there were opportunities for, um, for KT to like get into this game, but there were some questionable plays from like individual players, like mainly that flash in the mid lane from BDD where mm. I think he like saw an opportunity that just, faded away immediately um and was that was uh the flash route right yeah yeah team not able to follow up wasn't Mm. as close as he thought he was kind of thing and i really think that gave a big window (laughs) to jet g to kind of kind of kick open a larger advantage so so i think that was that was pretty pretty unfortunate especially when genji was just able to just like play side lanes pretty intelligently not Mm. give anything up and then just look to take the neutrals yeah, they and they played their 1v1 matchups just very well, which kind of allowed them to just take it these small incremental leads and then just make some some pretty decisive moves. They had really good map control throughout game 1, um like you said, taking objectives and and kind of taking those advantages. 
and then just very decisively ended that game one pretty pretty quickly at the 27 uh, and a half minute mark or so um, after kind of building all these incremental leads up until that point with their, mm-hmm. their macro play. Um, game two coming in, I was very excited just from the pick and ban um, to see the uh, the team come comp coming out from KT Rolster um, aiming with the Draven. I was excited to see, especially I think, um, and I'll correct myself if I'm wrong, but as a counter pick to the, the Yumi, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So seeing that come out in game two as a, as an immediate counter pick to the Yumi and going, Hey, if if I can't hit you, I will just nuke your AD carry and then I'll hit you. Um, I think was a, a really smart choice. And aiming in Lahens played that bot lane very, very well um, in just throughout the game, going uh 6-0 and 14 combined between the two of them. Um, just really, really strong counter pick in that in that bot lane. Yeah, and especially after, like, on this patch, Yumi has taken, like, a pretty significant nerf. Her attack range was shortened and no more movement speed on one of her activated abilities. Um, So pretty significantly, as one of the casters said, like, not a champion anymore. Um, So interesting choice in this position, I think, from from Gen.G to take a champion that has had one of her large strengths taken away from her. Um, and, and then again, just like a draft note, we're seeing the, we're, we're seeing the red side pick for NAR, um, this time for Katie Rolster ends up, you know, just being a fine pick. And I think the alt being, you know, just, just a, a super strong, super strong tool. That's why we just keep seeing him pop up. Mm. Um, but the fact that teams are seeing, that as just one of the best red side blind top lane options where like most things are available. They're saying, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Um, I think pretty, pretty interesting in that perspective, but yeah, just good drafting overall. I think from KT recognizing the weak Yumi in the bottom lane, capitalizing it with like an already strong champion against it. And then just like really, really making it bleed in that, in that sense because yeah, it was it was a pretty ugly advantage there in the bottom lane for aiming and Lahens. Yeah, and it it kind of played it played very well into KT's hands. We saw um, Gen G really trying to do what they had done in game one and force uh, themselves into a like objective control position and try and just like take control of that when they didn't have the same kind of advantages that they had had in game one, they make a, a really bad Baron call where they didn't have the proper setup and all, which KT was able to, uh, to flip and then just kind of take, um, the map pressure and just kind of continue to to snowball that or push that forward until the the second Baron fight where they're able to just take out Genji and then push to end the game. Um, it was, I think that, um, 
that focus on controlling objectives no matter what that really ended up being Genji's downfall a little bit at that Baron fight um, mm. to try and take that when they, they didn't have the kind of setup that they needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And that, that opened the door for KT take their, take their win over Genji, bring it to a, bring it to a game three. Um, and in the, we, you know, they, they kept, kept hinting at it. We finally got it. BDD's hundredth game of his year. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he's gotta be good at this point. So I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, it was, and so like going into the third game of this, it was pretty interesting to kind of see the. I felt like we got very specific views of KT and Genji throughout the series. Genji really has such a strong focus on the objective control that they tried to to lay out from the very beginning, um, trying to take the dragons early, um, lead into to the Rift Herald, and kind of fight around that. Um, but I think that the the issue I see with them is that because they are focusing so much on these objectives that it does leave some room open that a good team fighting team can just take a fight and win it and then take those objectives from you and you you lose a lot of your power that you're you're putting in and gaining from the objective control that you're pushing for um and on kt's side they're team fighting really well they crush the fight at the rift herald early on get some kills but they uh just and throughout the series they would continuously just step too far and over overextend themselves after winning a posture or a fight and they would just hang too long stay around too long and genji was able to to kind of take advantage of those moments because they they are a good team with good individual players and so you when you have that team fighting prowess that that we saw from kt and then you just keep hanging on that little bit too long, you're going to end up putting yourself in a bad spot where you have cooldowns down, where you are not at full health. And Gen G did a really good job of, of recognizing that, um, but just weren't quite able to, to really entirely flip the script on KT's team fight. Yeah, because we even saw like at this point in the game, you know, Lucian is is massive. He's six items. He was shredding through the front line of KT. So there was definitely there was definitely an angle there. Um, Keen was not doing a whole lot of damage to the front line of Genji. So they they had advantage there where he really would have had to like be threading it through the carry or like threading it through the, the front line to hit, you know, basically just, you know, uh, pays on the on the Lucian. Um, he got a couple of good tags on him, which I think is ultimately what allowed them to like really move forward at the Baron. Mm-hmm. Aiming goes through the wall, just annihilates like four of them, um, and it just is, you know, 
sealed up in that in that position um but yeah o- overall i think genji was looking for the looking for the advantage that they could take um but yeah overall the the damage was pretty high from kt's side yeah and i think that is like uh it's something that genji can take forward because they did like they did what they do very well they did really try to control the objectives and make good strong macro moves around the map but they did just kind of falter in a few moments with the team fight. So it's something they can work on and hopefully uh, grow upon to, to continue competing there at the top of the LCK. They're uh, up there tied in second with Liv Sandbox at six and two um, and have played very well, but they just have these small moments where they are, I think almost too focused on their play style that they slip up in other areas of their gameplay a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So, but that uh, that does wrap up our League of Legends chit chat for this mm-hmm. week. I know we had a little bit of uh, IEM that we wanted to to talk about. If you want to lead us through that, um, I unfortunately didn't get to watch much in terms of games but was uh kind of looking for some stats and and things like that to see um see how these teams did in their uh in their matchups well i'm no real expert i'm just gonna hit you with the um kind of hit you with the the overarching points here that i was well basically the main storylines that i was paying attention to um one player that i found super exciting to watch was uh monacy on g2 he was just like a highlight for me i think stood above where i there were other there are a bunch of other players in my mind that i think have like a legacy slot in my mind is like oh yeah like i've i've heard this player is good i should look out for them um but when you're watching g2 play like this guy this guy is like just insanely insanely fun to watch his speed is wild and um so from the like winning team angle uh Monacy from G2 hit the uh, one of the offers on G2 was just really really fun to watch had a really solid tournament um interestingly from G2's perspective I mean there were like there are a bunch of teams so many matches I I saw one per literally one percent of the games from the tournament um so I'm like no expert at all but G2 only dropped one map the whole whole tournament and it was in the finals against heroic so they were just like they were just unstoppable throughout the whole thing um the like my team to watch navi purely purely just because of like some players on their lineup they they made a pretty deep run so a couple of their games were really fun to watch but here here's an angle you may not have have thought I would give you but here's like my main story point from uh from Katowice. Okay. So the team Heroic who went up against G2 in the finals, they had a really solid run themselves, but Heroic and their in-game leader Kadian were coming off a 
I would argue a pretty rough loss at the end of last year. If you remember, it was Jame and Outsiders against Kadian and Heroic in the finals of what was that Rio at the end of last year? I, so, I am yeah. Rio. <clears throat> that was a like a pretty close fought battle, and now, well, at Rio, Kadian falls to outsiders they get they get second outsiders takes first Kadian loses and this isn't like his first loss at you know in major spots either either this is just like another one that he's got to take and now going into the finals after having like a pretty solid run of a tournament themselves oh god here you are Kadian looking at this undefeated g2 here you are in the finals again again against like arguably a much much stronger opponent than you had to face in outsiders in rio so damn if you had a chance it was then it is not now so like from the heroic and cadian's perspective what a rough role to get G2 that are just insane, insane. You get, you know, this another final for Kadian to just like come up short, only get to lift the, the second place trophy. So when I was watching the final, I was rooting for Heroic and they get that, they get that board. Oh my God. You're like, they can actually do this. Like they, like they can do it. G2 was so much better on the day, but I think um, I think a 3-0 was expected, obviously, because they hadn't lost a map. Um, but yeah, really, really tough run there for Kadian. Yeah, and I mean, from the, the other side of it for G2, it, it is kind of crazy. And so, like, obviously, like you said, there are certain guys that you look for that are, like, big in the CSGO world that are playing in these tournaments, um, Nico, one of, uh, Monacy's teammates on G2 is mm. been around for quite a while, but looking at Monacy, one thing that is just absolutely wild that he has almost solidified himself as one of the greats already. And I'm not trying to sing his praises, but he has done more in such a short amount of time than most. He played for Navi Jr., from January of 2020 till January of 2022 for so two years on Navi Jr. Um, playing for for their team comes on to G2 CS:GO team from 2022 till present and has already gone ahead and won uh, two majors with the Blast Premier World Final in 2022 and then winning IEM Katowice with um with G2 here in 2023. So he is already stacked as a 17-year-old. Two trophies on that mantle. He is just getting started and mm-hmm. coming in and as such a young player as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old getting these big tournament wins. Like I am expecting he's going to be someone to keep an eye on for a quite long time in the CSGO world. Yeah. I, he, he's on a trajectory. Like I can't imagine many have been on in their, in their professional career. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll have to see if uh, you know if the team sticks together if they're able to keep up this run. But yeah, right now they are they are the best in CS:GO, and it was it was a pretty exciting tournament. I think there was um, from what I saw, there was a lot of good stuff. Obviously, I didn't see all of it again, um, but yeah, pretty pretty exciting final, and just like a dominant dominant run from the 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 team that won. Um, so maybe from that perspective, it's like not that interesting, but, um, yeah, overall I thought it was a, 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 a fun tournament to, to catch. Yeah. And it creates uh, interesting storylines moving forward because it kind of does put G2 in this spot of Goliath and, and waiting yeah. to see who, uh, who comes along as David to try and take him down. Um, so it'll be some exciting CS:GO tournaments throughout the rest of the year. We've got plenty of uh, plenty of tournaments to go um, with the Blast tournaments later on in the year. Um, but to to bring us down to our flavor of the week here, uh, mm-hmm. why, don't you, why don't you lead us off into it? All right, so I've got an old one here, but a good one. If you're into, I I don't know what they used to call it, but the genre that it was in my iPod as what the what the old boys told me they sold it to me as trip hop the okay. old gorillas album the d sides mm. it starts off with just like a bunch of just like studio songs but then it gives you like 10 to 12 like remixes of like songs that you know from them just like different cuts different versions like different different ways that they cut it um and it's all super fun um and if you're a gorillas fan there's a version of kids with guns on it it's called the jamie t's remix it is a wonderful little piece of art that if you hadn't heard it go check it out um and it's it's really fun so i was listening to the gorillas d sides album and then my food here for the week i was gifted some homemade sauerkraut from a client um i wasn't like big on sauerkraut i'm no uh i'm no weird al yankovic but uh yeah i was definitely turned on the sauerkraut the homemade was pretty pretty quality we had it with some pork and we definitely had to enjoy that so thank you to the client who gifted it to us and we're we're working through that jar pretty quickly nice gotta love some good sauerkraut and pork that is uh that is my my family new year's tradition so yep and I think that's uh, I think that's the way for a lot of families, as was mine. Um, but yeah, so nice little gift. And then my visual medium, I'm a I'm a Marvel little little money pig. I just wanna I just wanna see what's going on. And at a certain point, like we're close to being caught up. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep keep the mediocrity rolling. I tuned into Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. And it was not as bad as Sarah said it was when she had seen it. So this was like the second time she fell asleep during it. So like, you know, that is what it is. But I was, let's just say I enjoyed myself watching it. Will I ever, will I ever put it on again? Probably not, but I'm just at least happy to know like where they're at in the story and my OCD brain can be like, all right, we're catching up. We're going to put all the pieces together. We're going to, we're going to have it all organized. Um, Checked off the to-do list. 
Yeah, but definitely just like wallowing in, in, in mediocrity at this point. Um, but that is my flavor of the week here, sir. Let me hear yours. Sounds good. So for uh, I'll start uh, off with uh, my visual medium. Uh, and so I uh, my visual medium this week is the Super Bowl halftime show with Rihanna. Um, I just thought it was really uh, it was cool how they did the set design. Like I I thought in general, and I I've gotten shit from my friends for it. I thought it was fine as a like okay. performance in general. I've been more entertained by other Super Bowl performances previously. I also don't think the Super Bowl performance is a great setting for some sort of spectacular like awing like whoa i'm just mind blown kind of like thing you have 13 minutes of like singing half of a song and then blending it into the next one like you're a uh second rate like one artist disc jockey and so i think that in general like i i wasn't like she sounded good but the shows don't ever really like get me Um, but the like visual aesthetic of it with her floating on these like giant platforms in the air, um, along with all the dancers and everything that were, that were doing that as well. Some of the, the visuals were so stark with like such a wide camera angle and just how small she is like standing on this platform above so many people. Um, I just thought it was, it was very cool. Um, which also kind of prompted me a little bit afterwards to, uh, to get into my, my music for this week, which I was, uh, touching back on some ASAP Rocky, uh, Rihanna's baby daddy. So it, uh, uh, after the performance and them talking about her being pregnant again with, uh, with her next child, um, just, uh, it, it brought back to recollection that ASAP Rocky is, uh, is right there with her. Um, and so I was jamming out to some of his, uh, his music that I've enjoyed previously. And, uh, and so I enjoyed some of that. Um, and then for my food this week, yesterday for, for Valentine's day, we had a Valen taco Tuesday, uh, and got some, some salad tacos from one of the local taquerias and, uh, some good tacos, some good guac, um, great salsa. And so it was a nice, uh, on the taco. I don't, I usually just go for it with chips, but I mean, I've had uh, tacos with guac on them, but for these, I was just kind of went with the way they had made them um and uh and enjoyed that but that that does round out my flavor of the week as well as this week's episode um so as always we we really appreciate everyone taking the time to listen spend with us um we look forward to doing this week after week so check us out on youtube google Podcasts, spotify hit us up on twitter let us know what your flavor of the week was um at tall and short of one on Twitter, the number one. Um, but Justin, let's let's take this out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends new episodes every Thursday, new episodes, tall and short of a podcast. Peace out, everyone. Adios.